Let's open with prayer and we'll get into the word. Lord, I thank you so much for the power of the word of God. Lord, I thank you tonight for your presence that is in this place, Holy Spirit, as you're here. But Lord, I thank you tonight for the power of the word of God. And as I speak tonight, I thank you for speaking through me everything that needs to be said. And even now that the Holy Spirit is moving upon every single person that's going to be listening or watching this to give you their best year and full attention and focus at their good soil. As the Holy Spirit just helps every one of us to be captivated, to give you our best year, our full attention, our focus, that our hearts and minds are good soil, and that these, uh, the word of the Lord go forth as living seeds of truth that will land in good soil of hearts and minds and lives, watered by the Holy Spirit and, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains till Jesus comes. Lord, I thank you for it. I thank you for the power of God present. And even as we're speaking this, the wind of the Holy Spirit is going to carry this out among the nations. It will get where it's supposed to and accomplish what it's supposed to. And the Bible says the birds of the air try to steal the seed. So we agree as a church, we bind the enemy in Jesus' name. You will not hinder this word getting where it's supposed to, nor accomplishing everything it's supposed to. We command you to be bound and back off in Jesus' name. But we thank you, Lord. For this going forth, and the Bible says it will not return void, but it will go forth and accomplish that which you sent it forth to do. So we thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, we're going to get into the word tonight. Specifically, I'm talking about the oil, but I'm going to cover some other subjects. But I want to open with Exodus chapter 30, verse 22. And with that said, I want you to see that there's something of the Lord that can get in anointing oil. Okay, I've seen some really, really powerful testimonies come forth by anointing people, places, and things with oil. And it is very scriptural, but very powerful. And what's sad is that there may be places that take communion, but they'll never anoint people with oil and pray for them. How many have been in churches at some point, okay, that... You can say that you were there maybe when you were growing up or for years, but they never anointed people with oil, never prayed over people. You kind of wave at me. How many of you have been there? So, unfortunately, this is something that's highly scriptural, but not always practiced. And there can be, an, so with that said, isn't it interesting? The Lord just now is releasing me to have anointing oil available, available in our ministry that we've really prayed over. I mean, re- earnestly prayed and fasted and sought God about. And this sermon, I think, will give you faith to believe God for some things. So in Exodus chapter 30, verse 22, the Lord spoke to Moses and said, Take also for yourself the finest spices, flowing myrrh, 500 shekels. So myrrh is kind of like a syrupy type of oil that comes out of a tree. And then it says, and a fragrant cinnamon. And then, uh, and then it says cassia and calamus. But those were 250 uh, shekels. And then it says a hen of oil. So what you have is you have olive oil. And you have um, cinnamon, cassia, calamus, and myrrh. So there's four ingredients in the oil, five total counting the oil. And it says, you will make of these a holy anointing oil, a perfume mixture, the work of a perfumer, and it shall be a holy anointing oil. And with it, you shall anoint the tent of meeting, which was the 
uh, tabernacle of Moses, okay? And he says, and the Ark of Testimony. So Moses was going to anoint the tabernacle and specifically the Ark of the Covenant. All right. And then it says that the table, the lampstand, the altar of incense, the burnt offering, basically everything. And it says, you shall also consecrate them that they may be most holy. So what consecrated them? The oil. As he anointed them with oil. So follow me tonight. He said, if you anoint them with oil, they will be consecrated and they will be most holy and whatever touches them shall be holy. And you shall anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them that they may minister as priest to me. So the anointing. Now physically. We have oil that we use. And we have something very similar here in River of Life. We anoint people with oil. And I will tonight for those that want it. But it, it's not just a physical thing. The, the Holy Spirit gets in this process if you will. The anointing of the Holy Spirit himself. He will deposit anointing into the oil. And he kind of flows through the anointing with oil. And there will be an actual presence and power of God in that. Okay? So it's not just a dead religious ritual. And let me just warn people. Anytime you do anything in Christianity as just a dead ritual, it's a waste of your time. There's no power in it. Everything that you do, you have to use your faith in what you're doing. It has to be deliberate, and you have to have faith in it. And then it will have power. And so the anointing with oil was never intended to just be some dead religious ritual. Now, Exodus 40, verse 9, this is so powerful. This is me condensing all of this. The entire chapter 40 is devoted to this. But let me just read a little bit of this. So Moses is now anointing the tabernacle. So he goes into the Holy of Holies first and anoints everything in there, backs his way all the way out, the holy place, and ends up in the outer court. But look at this. He said, Then you shall take the anointing oil, anoint the tabernacle, and all that's in it shall consecrate it, all its furnishings, and it shall be holy. And then look at verse 32. After Moses did that, it says, Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Isn't that awesome? That happened when Moses anointed the tabernacle. So there is a power in anointing with oil. All right, and let me show you a few more things tonight. We are a priesthood. And so, let me say a few things before I get into this. A lot of times in American culture, if I was to talk about a priest, unfortunately, people automatically think of like a Catholic priest or something. But you have to go back to the Bible. And what God gave Israel in the natural, he has fulfilled it in Christ. So everybody say fulfilled. Okay, so a lot of people think, unfortunately in american christianity and it's it's a very much a false doctrine but they think that the old testament is basically done away with and it's almost like you might as well just throw it out and just read the new nothing could be further from the truth and that's probably why there's so much false doctrine because you can't really understand the new testament without properly understanding the old because the new listen to what i'm saying the new fulfills the old it doesn't replace it 
And so you can't understand the new without understanding the old. So with that said, this is one good example. So when we talk about a priesthood, you're not talking about something like a Catholic or Eastern Orthodox or some other type of priest. You're talking about the priesthood of the Old Testament. And so when God uh, chose Aaron and his sons, this is what they had in the natural that now is fulfilled in Christ. Let me show you. They had a layer of white that they wore, a turban on their head, a robe of righteousness that went all the way down to like their ankles and it went down um, to their hands. And then they had, so let's stop there. That, well, the white, they also had like pajama bottoms that were white that covered them. And so those were now the garments of salvation and the robe of righteousness. So when you accept Christ as your Savior, the Bible says now, let me read it, 1 Peter 2, 9. This is the New Testament. It says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. Everybody say royal priesthood. A holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. So we used to be in darkness, but now we're in light. Okay, so a royal priesthood, I can't get off into the kingly part right now, but we are a priesthood. And so as a priesthood, you have to go back to what did God establish as a priesthood? He established in Aaron. So the, the layer of white, when you accept Jesus, you are made into like a priestly people. What were priests supposed to do? Worship and pray. So we have a responsibility, but the first layer of white has to do with our sins being forgiven, our shameful nakedness and sin is covered, and we are washed in the blood of Jesus, okay? So we are made righteous, that's the white layer. The blue layer that came over top of that had bells and pomegranates at the bottom. What that is, is being baptized in the Holy Ghost and with fire, which we all should have. The baptism in the Holy Ghost is a clothing of power from on high. And the bells and pomegranates have to do with the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit. There was a reinforced neck because in that culture, if somebody got really upset, they would rend their garments. But you can't, it represents the Holy Spirit. So even if you get upset, you better be careful how you treat the Holy Spirit and the things of the Spirit, okay? You can't just grieve Him and resist Him and quench Him and do things that upset the Holy Spirit, amen? But anyway, this, this blue layer represents clothing from above, like the sky is blue, that we're clothed with power. But then the third layer is gold. It's the golden ephod. It's like a vest that comes over the chest area, down to the waist. And there was a breastplate that had the 12 tribes of Israel and it was attached to shoulder pieces because shoulders represent responsibility. And the responsibility to have God's people over your heart and pray for them. But listen, the gold represents the fact that we are to carry the glory of God. Here's what God has called every one of us. Every single one of us are supposed to be priests that minister to God. We are supposed to be walking in righteousness. We're supposed to be clothed and powerful on high. And we're supposed to be carriers of the glory. That's for everybody. So see what Israel had in the natural, we now have in the spiritual, but we have the fullness of it, the reality of it in Christ. The Old Testament was a shadow, a picture of something to come. Just like when they offered up animals, they offered up a lamb at Passover. That was a picture and type of one day Jesus would come as the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. So it was that was fulfilled in Christ, okay? So... 
And the fact that we are priests unto God, if you look in Exodus 40, verse 12, it says this, Then you shall bring Aaron and his sons to the doorway of the tent of meeting and wash them with water, put on them the holy garments, and anoint them and consecrate them that they may minister as priests to me, and bring his sons and put tunics on them and anoint them, even as you have anointed their father, that they may minister as priests to me. And their anointing, everybody say their anointing, will qualify them for a perpetual priesthood throughout their generations. So we need the anointing. We, we're not effective without the anointing. One minister said this, and it stayed with me because it's actually, there's a lot of truth in this. He said, if you're called into the ministry, you're one of two things. You're either going to be anointed or you're going to be annoying. (laughs) And we've got to have an anointing. And so whenever you look at the anointing, there's a lot of things I can say. But God gives each of us abilities, graces. He gives us giftings, whatever he's called us to do and put on our hearts. He's given us something to do. But you're not ever going to truly be effective without God putting his anointing on that so that you can really function in it in power. It's the anointing that makes the difference. And not only that, but think about even in the natural when you have like a vehicle And what's going to make all the moving parts of the engine be able to function right is what the oil that lubricates everything. In the same way, I'm telling you, the anointing makes everything work right. And when you remove that oil out of the picture, everything tends to lock up and seize up and get dead and religious and boring and there's no power. All right, the Song of Solomon, this is kind of where I was going with this too, is priest unto God. God's called us to a place of worship and prayer. Those of you that want to do anything for God, you really need to hear what I'm about to say. I'll tell a quick story. So years ago, this would have probably been, if I can remember, I think 97. And there was some older women that were mentoring me back then. And they, you know, they were trying to whip me into shape. You know, they put me in spiritual boot camp and they were teaching me how to pray. But they were also taking me some powerful revivals. And there was there was a really anointed minister back then. I didn't know who he was. Um, But anyway, they told me, you need to go. So they actually went with us and there was a group of us that went. And this was out in Ennis, Texas. Anybody even heard of Ennis? I think that they have the last, one of the last standing uh, drive-in movie theaters in Texas <laughs> still there. Anyway, but we, we went there, and there was this church, and so we were going this revival, and this man of God was ministering there. I had no idea what I was getting into, how powerful it really was. And so the worship, everything's going, and I, and I see this. Don't ever judge by outward appearance. As I'm there, you know, worshiping, getting into it, and this, this guy that's going to minister is just kind of on the stage. He's sitting there. He's kind of getting into worship, and, and you know, and he's got kind of this old brown suit that looked like it was from the 60s or something. And I remember thinking, man, I hope this is going to be powerful. I don't know why I was thinking that. But anyway, this guy got up, ministered, and I didn't know why back then, but he would pray for people with his Bible. And, you know, I was just joking around in my mind thinking, well, you know, if they act up, he'll just whack them with the Bible, you know. But it was actually extremely powerful. And I found out years later, 20, 30 years later, why. 
He prayed for people with his Bible because when he was on his deathbed, somebody put their Bible on his chest and prayed for him, and God supernaturally healed him. And so now he always prays for people with his Bible. Well, I was in this meeting, and he's praying for people, and people were getting hit by the power. And I remember just kind of sitting there because he was preaching, and he's walking through, and he had his Bible, and he's, he's preaching like this, you know. And then he would go over and he'd just kind of put it on somebody's head and they go out. And I'm sitting there, you know, just into the, the atmosphere because the presence of God was all awesome. And next thing I know, I feel the... And I find myself like on the floor. And it was, it was powerful. And I knew God was really moving, but this, the best was yet to come. And so I'm sitting there now after he prayed for me. I'm sitting there, but I'm kind of out of it. Like my body was not wanting to obey me. Like, you need to move. And my body was real sluggish moving because the presence of God was so on me. And he's up there, and a group had come with me. And he calls me out, and he says, you, young man. He was way back there, too. You, young man, come here. And I really did not know he was talking to me. And plus, I was kind of out of it. So I'm looking around, you know, thinking, who's he talking to? And he finally, people are laughing at me because I finally figured it out. It was me. And so I tried to get up. And I'm trying to go down the aisle, and people are even laughing more because I was really trying, and my body was shaking, my legs were shaking. So I was going down there, I'm making it, I'm getting down there, and when he got down there, he told me some things that God told him to tell me. I'm not going to get into all that. But he said that the Lord basically wanted him to impart to me, like an impartation of the anointing, and the Holy Spirit would come upon me in power from that day forward. And so... All I remember, because I had to have some people fill in the gaps of what actually happened. Because I'm up there trembling under the power. My eyes are barely open. I can barely stand up as it is. And he says, God told me to pray for you seven times. And so he goes like this. His Bible touches me. That's all I remember. I remember people kind of picking me up. But he prayed for me seven times. And so after the meeting, I'm out under the power of God for a long time, I have no idea how long, but I was so under the glory and could not move that if the building caught on fire and somebody yelled fire and pulled the fire alarm, I was probably a dead man, unless God helped me, because I could not move, man. I was totally gone, and when we left there, I said, so what happened whenever, and they kind of laughed, and they said, well, they said that there was a couple of guys around you and when, they, when he prayed for you, you fell out really hard, and so did everybody around you. And so he's like, i got to pray for him again. And so some other people came up and picked you up, and he prayed, and they went out. And he's, they say, he did this seven times, and so you're out on the power, and there's a pile of people all around you. <laughs> I didn't know any of this. This was all news to me. And they said that finally, gradually, those people started getting up, but you stayed down there a long time. I said, I know, I couldn't move. I was hearing everything going on, but I was totally, completely under the power of God. And when I left there, this, I was really young in the Lord. This was, again, 96, 97 was a real key time for me. So I was born in 76. So I was around 20, 21. This was a real key time for me because I gave my life to the Lord in 95. And so this was like the early years of my Christian walk and what God I was really hungry for God to anoint me and use me. And I was praying about it. And I, when I left there, the Lord had me read Samuel, where Samuel anointed David, and it said, from that day forward, the Spirit came upon him in power. 
And, and that was what happened to me. God really anointed me that day. And so that's what I pray for every one of us. And let me tell you, there is an anointing. And I've gone to many places where, where your people prayed over me, and the power of God was so awesome. And I remember at Brownsville, for example, I've told this many times, but just some random altar worker prayed for me, and I remember just being thrown back. Let me tell a quick story about this because I want you to remember this particular story. So when the 90s revivals, don't ever forget this story. When the 90s revivals really began to break forth in America, Rodney Hart Brown was one of those that were kind of in the forefront of that. And there was a lot of laughter. So, you know, a lot of the mainstream Christianity didn't accept it because I guess they want people sad instead of laughing, right? So I was, this was 96, and I was at Bible school, and I was sitting in the chapel at Bible school. All the other students were there. And I was young, and I was still really goofy and young, you know, just goofing around a lot. And, and I remember that this, this really sweet lady, well, she was sweet except when she was my teacher because she was pretty hard on us. But anyway, but she, was, she loved the Lord. But she was up there, and she was sharing about revival or something. I don't really remember the sermon. But she said at the end of this, I want to show a video about the Holy Spirit coming in power and so they play this video and this was again this is all bible school people so supposedly the overwhelming majority of those that were there were there to go into the ministry right and so she's speaking to us that way plays this tape well as it's playing this is back in the days of vcrs remember this as it's playing the what it was was allison Ward's testimony and that was at brownsville and she was a very young intercessor and the Holy Spirit was on her so powerful, her body would just shake under the power. And she was sharing, and as she said that, she said, the Lord is in a hurry. And she said, there's not a lot of time to get things right with God. And I remember the power of God came through into that place. And I'd really never felt that. And I remember tearing up and other people around me, we were just kind of like, whoa. I mean, the power of God just came in. And then I'm telling all the good, bad, and the ugly, okay? Then some of the older guys got up and said, now, hold on, you know, we don't know for sure if this is of God or not. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm only like 21 or something. I'm thinking to myself, sure feels like God, you know. <laughs> and so I called back to a pastor that, that pastored me through the teenage years. And I was asking him about the various revivals going on. And man, he told me, he said, oh, they're not of God. Stay away from them. Yeah, that's what he said. And so I, I end up at, going from there, and I was interning. That, that's where you work and you don't make any money. Anybody that know? Okay, so I was interning at this church, and there was this goofy youth pastor, which I recently saw him. Man, he's gotten old. Love you, brother, if he's watching. And he was, um, he, he was there, and my, my job description, I think, was to be a thorn in his side so he could be closer to Jesus. But anyway, I was, I was really serving Noah and doing my best. And while I was there, I'm dealing with the Bible school leadership questioning the move of God. I'm dealing with the fact I called my pastor who I was under his ministry for years saying these things are emphatically not of God, stay away. Thank God, I ended up, at this particular church. There was a pastor there who now is with the Lord. And 
he was a really sweet guy. And listen to this. I love this because I was raised in East Texas. So, you, you know, there wasn't interracial churches. I mean, it was, it was black churches, white churches, Mexican churches, whatever. But there wasn't interracial. And so I love being at this church because everybody was just there and everybody just loved everybody. It was fun. And I enjoyed my time there. This is out in South Oak Cliff. And I was at this church. I mean, we would hear literally, I'm not exaggerating, gunshots down the road at night where drug deals were going down. I stayed close to Jesus in those days, and I I survived it. But while I was there, the pastor came in one day to this little house we were living in. And it was me and three other guys. And he hands us this VHS tape. And it's like all these different scenes of the Brownsville Revival. And the only thing I had seen was that lady, right? And so this is what he said to me and to the other guys. He said, guys, he hands us the tape and says, you need to watch this. He said, what's going on out there in Pensacola, that's a real move of God. And he says, you guys need to go. And he's probably thinking, you're a bunch of goobers, and you need this. (laughs) I'm serious. I think he was thinking that. But he said, you need to go. And he said, now, don't just go for one service, and don't just be a spectator. He said, if you go, you need to go for like a week, and you need to go to at least three services, and you need to get prayer. Make sure you get somebody to pray for you. And so I was like, okay. And I felt it, because I remember I saw a few guys, and I understand, I knew how goofy these guys were. I mean, and to see them come back, and them being different like they were, I knew God was moving. And so I remember I called my mom, you know, and I was like, because I was college age. I didn't have any money. You know, I was freeloading in the house, being a thorn to the youth pastor, right? And so I was, uh, I was like, Mom, you know, for my birthday, I want to go down there. She's like, yeah. So anyway, we go down there. It's kind of my birthday present, I think, if I remember. And so while I'm there, that's where God touched me. But think about what I'm saying. I wanted to tell that story because I don't want you to ever forget that. You better be careful who you're listening to. If I had listened to the religious people, I would have missed the greatest move of God in my life. And thank God for that pastor. And I went to a reunion at that church, you know, recently because Jim and Sandy. Sandy was their worship leader. And she was shocked that I knew everybody and went there. And she's like, you've got to come. And so I went with her and she sat with me and my wife. And and I saw everybody. And but anyway... My point is this, the pastor was already passed on, but I was telling his daughter these stories, and she's kind of tearing up, and she's thinking, he was always like that, you know? He, it, was, it was such a beautiful thing just to see everybody worship together in church, interracially. There was no denominational walls. He had people coming into this church from Christ for the Nations and whatever else. He didn't care anything about your skin color or your background. He didn't care about your denominational label. And isn't it interesting, he would be the type of guy that knew that was a move of God. You see what I'm saying? And encouraged us to go. So God's about to move again. And we've got to be ready to get in this move of God. It may look a little bit different than what you're used to. But don't let that throw you. If it's God, it's God. Get in on it. Okay? All right. So Song of Solomon This is kind of like when you get hit by the power and when God begins to really do a deep work. But this is like an intimacy with the Lord in Song of Solomon 4.14. Nard, saffron, calamus, cinnamon. Recognize some of these spices, right? 
with all the trees of frankincense, myrrh, and aloes, along with the finest spices, you are a garden spring, a well of fresh water, and streams flowing from Lebanon. And then it says, like we sang tonight in that song, Awake, O north wind, come wind of the south, make my garden breathe out fragrance. Let the spices flow out. May my beloved come into his garden and eat his choice fruits. But here's the thing. The Lord, I'm going to end with this in a moment with this sermon. But the Lord anoints us, but there's this fragrance about it. And the Lord is, this is, to me, these spices kind of speak of the, like the fruit of the Spirit or the change as God, to anoint means to rub in. When God pours his anointing over us and he begins to rub that in, he's wanting that to go down into the deep places of who we are and change us. And then it's like in that process of being broken and humble before him, it's like when that broken alabaster box, when, when we're broken before God and the wind of the Spirit comes on us, it's like the fragrance of him goes out from us to other people. So in other words, God wants to anoint us so that when we pray for other people, they can be touched by the anointing as well. And so I, I think about, you know, Aaron and his sons. As, as Moses poured that oil over them and anointed them, or I think about when prophets like Samuel would fill up like a shofar that they had, and they'd fill it full of anointing oil, and then they'd go and they'd pour it over David's head or something. You know, when they, when they left that place, think about it, and they, they were walking off, you could go behind them and you'd see their footprint, but you would see oil all over that footprint, you see, and you would know a man of God had been here. Whenever we minister, it should be an anointing that's a residue that you know that that person really walked with God and walked in the power of God and made a difference. Amen. All right. So a couple more quick things before I close and pray for people. Jesus is the anointed one. Many people don't know this, but Jesus Christ. Okay, you ready? Jesus is not really like first name and Christ, his last name. Everybody in, in America thinks that. You go on the street tonight and say, hey, what's Jesus' last name? And say, Christ, I know that. You know, it's like, wrong. So Jesus would have been known as Yeshua, son of Joseph. That's the way they were known back then, okay? Christ is his title. What that means is like in the Hebrew, it's Mashiach, and it means the Messiah. But in the Greek, it's Christos, and it's translated Christ. But either way, whether it's Messiah or Christ, it's the same thing, it's the same title, and guess what both of those words mean? The Holy and the Anointed One. What marked Jesus was, number one, He was holy. And number two, He was the Anointed One. And what does that mean? Everywhere Jesus went, people were healed, people were delivered from demons, the power of God showed up. Jesus walked in the anointing. You know what's crazy? I had a guy argue this with me. Jesus says, as I, sent, as I was sent, I'm sending you, and even greater works will you do. Did you know he said that? And I remember this guy one time. No, he didn't. I said, we go read your Bible. I'm not going to argue. And then he comes back a long time later and goes, yeah, I'm sorry. I was, <laughs> it's in the Bible. Trust me. I'm, I'm, I've been in the ministry long enough to know that's in the Bible. But Jesus is saying that as he was sent, he's sending us out, but he's sending us as his anointed ones. That where we go, there's going to be the power of God to heal people and deliver people. 
People should be getting baptized in the Holy Ghost. Things should be happening. And look at this. When Jesus sent out the 70, how many have read at least a gospel? Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, you've at least read a gospel. All right. How many remember when Jesus sent out the 70? All right. Look at, look at verse uh, Mark six twelve. It says, they went out and preached that men should repent. And they were casting many demons out of people. And look what they were doing. And they were anointing with oil many sick people and healing them. So did you know when Jesus sent out the 70, he sent them with anointing oil? A lot of people never really thought about that. And everywhere they were going, demons were leaving people. And then they would pray for the sick. And what would they do? They would anoint them with oil and God would heal them. And look in the New Testament. This is for the local church in James 5.14. James, this is the brother of Jesus, his half-brother. James wrote the book of James and he said this. If anyone is sick among you, then he must call for the elders of the church that they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. If he's committing sins, they'll be forgiven him. So the anointing with oil is connected to seeing people healed. That's why when Brother Jim and them were praying for healing, he kept anointing people with oil because he knows the Bible. Isn't that powerful? And so when you go out, I'll tell another real quick story because this is kind of recent. I'm not going to say any specifics, but a dear friend asked me to come and pray over his property. And we had a little thing of oil that we had prayed over. And him and I dumped this oil out and we believed together and the power of God shot through that property. I felt it. And when we came in, his wife said she felt it too. Listen, the anointing with oil is powerful, okay? And um, I want to talk, as I'm about to close this out, on enduring faith. And then I want to pray for people that want prayer tonight. I'm going to start a series next week on faith and healing. Now, I'm going to go for a while on that. But I felt like we needed all of us to get our, the Holy Spirit to begin to increase our faith. And so these sermons will do that because faith comes by hearing. So let me say this up front. You know what faith is not? Faith is not a feeling. Most people confuse that because they think that I felt like something was going to happen and then it didn't. And I say, well, because faith and feeling are two different things. Feelings is in the realm of your emotions. Faith is deeper than your emotions. It's a spiritual thing. You know what faith also is not? It is not just intellectually agreeing with the truth. You know, people can look tonight at me and say, well, I agree with what you're saying and that's good, but that's not really faith. Faith is a spiritual substance. It's something deep within you that knows. And so whether or not you feel it or not, or whether or not your mind really understands everything, faith is deeper than that, and faith will actually make things happen. God gives us faith. And so I'm going to read this, and I want everybody to give me your best ear and get something out of this part because it's important, because it's connected to the anointing. I think a lot of times people maybe in some ways are trying to have faith for things beyond their calling, beyond their gifting, or beyond what... God is actually wanting them to be doing. Like if I try to beat somebody else's ministry or try to do something that I'm not really called to do, I don't really have the God-given faith for that. I don't have the grace for that either. Does that make sense? 
um, you, you need to be in what God's called you to do because he's given you faith for that. So wherever you're supposed to be and whatever you're supposed to be doing, I guarantee you, you have the faith for it because God will give you that. Let me show you this. And many times the Bible will do what I'm about to do here. It'll build systematically uh, from one revelation to the next. And I want you to see something about Romans 12. Maybe you've never seen before. But he said in Romans 12, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your body a living and a holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. So in the Old Testament, they had the burnt offering that was skinned and put on the altar and burned completely. This is the New Testament uh, worship here. That we lay our lives on the altar and let the fire of God burn out everything that needs to go. So the first thing is that your body... Be pure and holy, a living sacrifice. Then he says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is. So you go from your body on the altar now to your mind being renewed. And when your mind is renewed and you're transformed by the renewing of your mind, then and only then will you be able to start understanding what the will of God is. And so he said, that which is good and acceptable and perfect, so there's levels of God's will, and I want to live in the perfect will of God. And then he says, for through the grace given to me, so just think about that. He's not going beyond what he's supposed to be doing here. He says, I'm in the will of God, I'm doing what God's called me to do, I'm an apostle, I'm an apostle to the Gentiles, I'm supposed to be doing what, and I'm writing this letter to Romans because God called me to do it, therefore by the grace given to me, does this make sense? I say this to you, and he said, I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. So wherever you are called to, be humble. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. And if you're walking in humility, God's given you a measure of faith for what you're called to do. And it is enough. And then verse 4 says, For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function. One's an eye, one's a foot, one's an ear. Everybody's different. Different giftings. And he said, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individual members, one of each other, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Each of us is to exercise them accordingly. All right, so I'm going to just go through this. I want you to really think about what I'm saying. The first thing, if you'll do this in order, is to present your body as a living sacrifice. Holy. Keep your body pure. Keep it from from ungodly substances. Keep it from sexual immorality. Keep it holy, right? Then the next thing, through this surrender, now we can let our minds be renewed with the Word of God. Everybody say, renewing the mind. When you renew your mind by the Word of God and you start thinking the way the Word says for you to think, the Bible says you'll be totally transformed by that. And there is a washing of the water of the Word of God. Then, once your body is a living sacrifice and now your mind is renewed, and because of that you're transformed, follow this. With now a renewed mind, you can understand the will of God and be led by the Spirit. 
Because now, with sober judgment, you can know what God has really called you to do. You can know where you're supposed to be and what you're supposed to be doing. And by, because of that, you're led by the Spirit. Does this make sense? And if you're led by the Spirit, you're going to be in the right place, doing the right thing God's called you to do. And you're led there by the Spirit. And so once you get in that place God has for you, then you can begin to function in the gifting and the calling that God has called you to. And in that gifting and calling, God has given you a grace and a measure of faith. You will have the faith you need to believe for what God's called you to do. And in that proper place, when you get there, you can fulfill your destiny in God. But it's, it's a process of your body a living sacrifice, your mind renewed, and that you know the will of God, and in that you will have faith to believe for what you're called to do. That's why I think sometimes I say, I know that such and such is going to happen. And I think sometimes other people don't really know what I mean by that, or they may not even really believe it. It's not a matter of me convincing anybody. I don't really care. I know because I have the faith to believe for it, because God's called me to do it. And whether everybody believes or not, it's still going to happen. And one of these days, I'll be up here going, I told you. But it's because I'm in the center of God's will, doing what He's called me to do, and I have the faith to believe for what He's called me to see. We can all be there, and we need to be. But how many knows in that we've got to be anointed? There is an anointing. And so let me close with this about being a wise virgin. So, how many know the story of Smith Wigglesworth? He's a tremendous man of faith. He was a tremendous man of faith that raised the dead, saw all kinds of major miracles. He picked one guy up that was a dead man. Picked him up, dead, mind you. Throws him against the wall. Punches him in the gut. How many knows he's not going to care? Okay. Punches the guy in the gut, says, live. And he did that a couple times. The guy came back to life. Now, Smith Wigglesworth had faith and he had boldness. But let me tell you the real story about Smith Wigglesworth. He was a shy, uneducated, illiterate plumber. He was very shy and somewhat introverted. He got married and his wife was the outgoing one. And she got involved with the Salvation Army, which by then was nothing like what you think it was. They were a group of Pentecostal fiery preachers that used to go out and play their instruments and gather a crowd and stand up on a soapbox and preach under the power of God, man. And people would get saved. And then they gave, you know, they gave to the poor and needy. How far it has fallen from them. But anyway, the wife was talking to Smith. Anyway, Smith Wigglesworth decided... I need to be baptized in the Holy Ghost. I need this. And he goes to a small meeting and by a stove, it was cold. And he told the guys there to pray for him. And he was not leaving until he got baptized in the Holy Ghost. Long and short of it, he got baptized in the Holy Ghost. And then at the next meeting that they have with Salvation Army, Smith was supposed to go up and share. Understand, his wife was like, this guy is so shy and so introverted. I mean, he'll never get up there. And even if he does, he's probably going to faint. But anyway, she watches him go up there and he begins to preach with fire and boldness. 
And she said, my God, that is not the same man. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you in power, you will never be the same. You will be a different person. And the Bible says we're called to be wise virgins with extra oil. So let me close with this. Ephesians 5.27 It's talking about Jesus that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. Let me tell you in love, when Jesus comes, there's going to be a lot of people left behind. There's a lot of people that all they care about is this world and the things of the world. They don't really care about the Lord. And they, they don't, they're not living holy. They're not on fire for God. They don't really pray. They're just going through the motions and all that. When Jesus comes, they're not going. They're going to still be here, and they're going to be staggering to some church begging God for mercy. But the Lord is coming for a church, a bride without spot or blemish, like the priestly garments, pure white. And then it says in Revelation 19, 7, Let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to him. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. And the Bible says in Matthew um, 25 that the Lord's going to come as a thief in the night, but he's coming for the wise virgins that have what? Extra oil. You know, this is a good time. We see the end times are obviously upon us. We're right in the middle of them. We know anybody that knows anything about the Bible prophecies know that Jesus is coming is near. Don't you think this is a good time to start getting filled with extra oil? And I'm telling you, in the days to come, there's about to be a great revival. There's going to be an influx of a harvest of souls, and then the Lord's going to come. But that great revival is going to be like a final work. We better get in on that revival. As I'm closing, I want to say this. It never ceases to amaze me, religious people. The Bible says over and over, it said it in the Old Testament, and then Peter quotes it in the New. In the last days, I will, what does it say? I will do what? Pour out my spirit. And every time that God has poured out his spirit, you have a bunch of religious, goofy people saying that's not of God. It's like, are you kidding me? It said it in the Old Testament. It said it in the New Testament as plain as a man could speak. God's pouring out his spirit. People are getting saved. They're repenting of their sins. What Jesus did on the earth, people are being healed, people being delivered. And you're going to look at that and think that's not God. Blind. But when God pours out his spirit, I want to be right in the middle of what he's doing. And I want to be filled with extra oil. And Jesus is coming for that bride that has made herself ready, that will repent of all of our sins and will get filled with extra oil. You're going to get the extra oil at church, but you're also going to get the extra oil from spending time with the Lord. In Matthew 7:21, it says about Jesus said on that day, many, not a few, will say, Lord, Lord, we did all these things in your name. He's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you and you lived in sin. You better make sure, this is for everybody, because, I mean, tomorrow the rapture could happen. I'll be gone. I'm just going to tell you. You better make sure you really know the Lord. And you better make sure you're living a holy life. Because that's between you and Him. But when He comes, there's not going to be any chance for people to, you know, play games and think, well, I'll have time to get right. No, it's in the blink of an eye. You're not going to have time to repent. So, Lord, we thank You for this tonight. We're going to go through and pray for people. But I thank You, Lord, for a mighty anointing. I thank you for a fresh impartation tonight that we will never be the same in Jesus' mighty name. All right, we're going to...
just put on some worship. We need to move these chairs.